I'm Dave Monaco, the Almire Family Head of School at Parish Episcopal School. Welcome to the From My Angle podcast. Today's episode concludes our recent series of discussions on how we come together to serve. At Parish, service is one of our three tenets. Our students have spoken about the value of service on the podcast so far this year. We've heard in our last episode with Abby Williams about how Parish comes together with another community organization, United to Learn, in service to the community. And starting this new calendar year, we learn from Doug Deason about how an individual community leader follows his or her passion, in Doug's case around criminal justice reform, and in doing so, ignites others to the cause. As we conclude this exploration on the power of collective service, I wanted to touch on a topic we have avoided throughout this podcast season, even as its specter has shrouded our lives and our parish experience, the pandemic. The pandemic, and especially in recent weeks, the national and local effort to unite in bringing vaccinations to bear has been top of mind for almost a year now. What have we learned about ourselves as a community of citizens in that time? How has the impact of the pandemic and our efforts to bring it under control reflected inequities in our society? How are local agencies coming together on behalf of community wellness? I have the perfect guest to help us explore questions like these. Dr. Michael Horn is the CEO of the Parkland Foundation, the foundation which supports Parkland Health and Hospital System, Dallas County's public health provider. He is also a good friend, as previous to his role with the foundation, Michael serves as the CEO of KIPP DFW, a network of charter schools serving the South Dallas community. It was my pleasure to spend almost a decade on the board of KIPP DFW and see firsthand Michael's intelligence and commitment to community on display. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Dr. Michael Horn. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Today's episode taped in the midst of weather Armageddon with the snow of a generational import here in uh, February is on a topic that I am eager to discuss as we wrap up this conversation about what it means to serve together. I've so enjoyed having Abby Williams on recently, Doug Deason, of course, hearing from our students about this tenant of service at Parish. But before we left this topic, I wanted to touch on the pandemic, a subject that we have not taken up at all on the podcast this year with great great intentionality, but to talk about the national and local effort, especially to bring vaccines to bear, to unite in bringing an end to this pandemic. I wanted to learn a little bit more from a friend of mine, an expert in this area, Dr. Michael Horn, the CEO of the Parkland Foundation, the foundation which, as all know, supports one of the gems of Dallas, the Parkland Health and Hospital System, Dallas County's public health provider. Michael's also a good friend. We served together at KIPP DFW for nearly a decade while I was on the board, and he was KIPP DFW's CFO. So, I so admire his intelligence and his commitment to the community. So, Michael, my friend, good to see you. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thanks, Dave. It's glad to be here. Glad uh, that we're able to weather these uh, these storms. One cancellation uh, here in this week as we uh, talk about pandemic amidst another generational challenge here with uh, weather like Dallas has not seen in uh, close to 30, 30 years. So, yeah, just an amazing time. So let's dig in as I normally like to. Um, we've known each other quite a while now. I was trying to go back maybe six, seven years, could be a little longer than that. I remember you coming to the Hillcrest campus, which Parish right. uh, listeners will appreciate uh, when you were coming down from Massachusetts to interview 
for the role at, at KIPP DFW at the time as a, a school leader, and I was a KIPP board member. I know you are a dedicated husband, a dedicated father, a committed educator, um, a civic leader, but I really like to know from the folks I have on the podcast, like, how do you identify? Like, when you walk into a space and introduce yourself, how is it that Michael Horn chooses to introduce himself in a word or phrase? Yeah, I would say um, just an optimist. You know, I think that um, I've tried to to always see the, the the bright side of things, particularly like in the field that we're in, where we are confronted with challenges on many different levels, um, but we are forced as leaders to always see those opportunities um, that, that exist or that, you know, we're trying to, to bring to fruition. And so in any situation, whether it was on the education side, now the healthcare side, you know, confronted with some, some what many think are in, intractable uh, challenges, you know, I try to just stay, stay focused, uh, you know, be optimistic, uh, know that, you know, hard work uh, will pay off um, and that there's always some good that exists out there. Uh, we just got to work to, to find it and leverage and harness that, that, good, uh, that good work. Man, that's probably why people love to follow you, my friend, because um, optimism <laughs> can be hard to muster sometimes and you don't want to be Pollyannish. You know, as Jim Collins would say, yeah. you got to speak the brutal facts yeah. to the people that you lead. Right. But at the same time, they need to feel hope, don't they? Yeah, they do. Yeah. Cause this, I mean, it's, you know, it's a grind, right? So when you're in a community where you're like, you know, health outcomes are, 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 are bad, um, you know, opportunities for workforce development may not exist or be fragmented. And the list goes on. Housing is intransigent. You know, if, if you're like, oh, there's, you know, food insecurity is, is rampant, you know, you can start ticking off like all of these metrics and you're like, wow, it's easy to become disillusioned. Um, or you can say, you know, here's the fact base. Um, however, let's leverage this and say, you know, if we come together, we actually can make something, uh, we can make something happen and we can do it in a way that is inclusive, um, that is aligned to some shared values and goals. Um, and ultimately will uplift us and move us in the direction that we need to be and build that better tomorrow that I think we all strive to, to come to existence. Yeah, that's a great capstone statement on this last segment of the podcast when we've taken a look at together this theme and we talked about civil discourse back in the fall and we talked about how do we come together as people across difference and then, you know, really recently, to your point, talking about the amplification of our gifts and our energies when we can unite behind a, a cause that we share uh, an allegiance to. I wonder about your call to um, to leadership and service. You know, I think each of us that are in leadership roles now have, you know, those seminal or pivotal moments along our, our journey where a mentor comes along. Uh, you know, Jim, again, Jim Collins, Robinson, he called it who luck. You know, you meet that person in your circle who who pivots you or moves you in a, per, a certain direction. So leaders have who luck sometimes or they make a choice mm. or they don't make a choice that's pivotal, or they just have a, an experience that's, that's really um, um, just shaping. So tell us a little bit about Michael Horn's leadership story and call to service. Yeah, I, I, you know, I always believe, and, and I saw this, uh, I see this for myself, but for a lot of leaders, you know, your origin story and leadership journey and arc often begins with, you know, people in your immediate family, you know, a, a parent. And so for me, it's, it's my mother and father. My mother um, like a lot of, uh, of members of my, my family on the maternal side as a lifelong educator. And, you know, for her growing up in North Carolina at a time where, you know, access to, to education was, was often denied, you know, she at an early age, you know, saw an opportunity to not just, you know, 
pursue education on behalf of her own uplift, but to do so for the community. And so was at a, at a, at a, as an adolescent really working hard to say, how do we, you know, work to desegregate public library systems and, mm. and, you know, make sure that everyone access to, to books and things like that. And so for me then, you know, as I got older and as a, as a growing up in New York, it very much was like you know, education is a, is a key to, to freedom and it really is a key to empower yourself, but also your community. And it's important mm-hmm. that you use those gifts to support others. Um, I think the other piece, you know, my dad, you know, he had an opportunity growing up in Providence, Rhode Island to uh, be one of few at the time African-American students to, to attend uh, Providence Country Day School. And you know, saw you know the 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 need to learn quickly how to navigate you know mm-hmm. uh, contexts that may be very unfamiliar. And so, you know, as I've you know progressed in, in my life personally and certainly professionally, yeah, you know, I've been definitely confronted with opportunities where I've had to, on behalf of constituents, learn to navigate you know complex at times uh, overlapping contexts and settings, um, all you know pursuing you know a shared vision and goal and trying to acquire resources. I would say the last thing is, you know, I've, I've had the opportunity to be really immersed in a community that, you know, believed in, in just nurturing and, and caring for me. So whether it was coaches, uh, you know, arts teachers, you know, I think about my sixth grade uh, teacher, Ms. Bythewood, you know, who just, you know, had a, a, just a firm understanding of excellence. You know, mm-hmm. you, you met her outside the door. She shook your hand firmly, looked you in the eye, asked you how you were doing. You came in, you knew it was time to get to work. Uh, but there was so much love in that kind of warm and demanding, you know, environment. Um, and she just pushed us, but always told us, you know, like there's a responsibility that you have um, to make sure that you pay it forward for, for everyone else. And so, I mean, I think all of those experiences contributed to uh, where I've been and kind of where I am today. Um, and I lean on those, you know, especially as we're trying to do things that are bold and and transformational. Yeah, I saw your I saw your mom's commitment to equity in your work at Kip DFW, and I saw your sixth grade teacher's countenance as you, I would walk the halls with you there. So <laughs> it really rubbed off, man. The handshake, yeah. the stern looks, and yeah. the sense of the sense of advocacy for kids. So yeah. uh, they'd be they'd be proud of you. But you know, you had this chance to make a really exciting pivot career wise here a couple of years ago, and. Um, and left Kip DFW to move over to the Parkland Foundation. And I wanted to segue that to really talk again about the pandemic and the response to, to it, its impact, and, and now the, yeah. the vaccine rollout. Um, but I think uh, nationally, Parkland Hospital is just so highly known. And I know locally, um, by those of us who know anything about this city, uh, cherish Parkland's role as really um, uh, for over 130 years now, the, the, the place where uh, the, the the average Dallas citizen goes for their health care to a great degree. And, and it's known also for a tremendous trauma center, et cetera. But I don't know that many people know about the Parkland Foundation. I know until you took your role there, I didn't. So yeah. <laughs> summarize for us the major functions of the foundation and how it serves to bring people and assets together uh, on behalf of the wellness of uh, members of Dallas County citizenry. Yeah, so we, we've been in existence since around 1985, Parkland Foundation, and we uh, certainly, our, our core mission is to raise philanthropic support and awareness uh, in service and support of key uh, initiatives that Parkland Health and Hospital System have, have really put in motion. Um, and we believe certainly that uh, philanthropic support, much to, I think, the history of Dallas, um, really can be that, that accelerator um, to take an idea to scale, um, to really uh, build a proof of concept 
that then we can leverage um, the power and sustainability of you know, governmental resources, certainly knowing that a third of our uh, revenue for the hospital comes from taxpayers. And so we, we recognize that with that level of stewardship and accountability, there really becomes a, a contract, right? Which is we are going to, on behalf of our taxpayers and constituents, we're going to steward those resources. Um, and part of doing that is to say, when we have really, we believe innovative ideas, we can use private philanthropic dollars as seed investment um, to then say, you know, what evidence have we collected to suggest that this is something that we actually can, can move to scale. And once we do that and can present that information to the broader public, I think we've made an investment case, mm. um, an investment thesis that says the ROI is pretty high here. We actually can serve more people, um, both within Dallas County, but potentially even across the country as other institutions and communities look to us um, as a model for population and public health. So most foundations do the same thing. They, they bring in asset or they have asset given by the beneficence of the family that sets up the foundation, but then they target or identify projects to, to serve in the community. So does the foundation um, set the course of the projects within the hospital that it will fund or does the hospital come to the foundation and say, you know, here are ideas that we have to amplify community wellness foundation. Will you uh, help us set them up? Or is it really a, a mutual uh, collaborative process between the hospital and the foundation to set the course? Yeah, it's collaborative, which I think is, is great because it aligns with one of Parkland's uh, hospital's core values of collaboration, you know. And so, you know, there are a couple of ways in which this manifests. Certainly, you know, as the, the leadership team sits down and says, and we look across, you know, Dallas County and identify, you know, areas of need and opportunity, here are some key distinct, you know, projects or initiatives that we believe philanthropic support could really help accelerate. And so then we work in partnership with hospital leadership to say, okay, let's build a plan, a strategy, a case for why we think, you know, this is something worthwhile for philanthropic support to, to activate. On the flip side, there are plenty of examples where, you know, either we are working with donors, we're, you know, researching the landscape, you know, talking to thought leaders, clinicians, you know, to say, you know, what are some challenges that we're trying to confront? And or where are some areas where this could actually be a good pivot for the system to be bold, to be transformational? And so I'll give an example of something that, you know, I think captures that sweet spot, you know, from my time in education at KIPP, mm -hmm. uh, particularly towards the, the latter end of my tenure, one of the areas where, you know, was really a, a, an unfortunate pain point for so many and still is uh, for a lot of, of educators is um, social, emotional health and behavioral health uh, for children. Um, as they continue to develop, uh, particularly I would say in under-resourced communities, lack of access um, to a, a system um, mm -hmm. that is uh, a cohesive, um, easy to navigate for, for families um, that's, that's culturally supportive, um, really becomes a major barrier and ultimately impacts an ability for a child to thrive academically, uh, for a family to, to, to thrive. And so, you know, part of the, the kind of question, you know, for me was, you know, what do we, what kind of conditions do we need to create such that more and more families and children have access to these resources? Well, lo mm -hmm. and behold, coming to Parkland is an opportunity to do just that. You know, we are launching our first line of defense program that really sits within the continuum of services that, uh, that exist across Dallas County, where we can focus on mild and moderate uh, behavioral health needs uh, at the pediatric level, really intervene early to then prevent those crises that may occur. 
But should they occur, we have pathways to then refer individuals in a hub system mm. that's easy to navigate, um, that's informative for par parents and families. It helps to support them and educate them, provides navigation they need. And so, you know, that's an example where you know, I'm able to leverage experiences that I've had on the ground uh, to say, hey, I can talk about students and families um, that I work with, you know, day in and day out that, you know, unfortunately did not have access to services that I know should, they, if they had them, right, would be thriving in the ways that we want children certainly to, to thrive. Um, and then for the system to say, this is definitely strategic and aligned with the work that we want to do mm -hmm. as we truly look to, to service, right? You now we have 50,000 children across Dallas County that call Parkland their medical home. This is a great opportunity for us to go deep. Yeah. And that must be so great to channel your optimism into, into solution activation, because sometimes right. we educators, you know, we're just bumping up against those, those issues. The ones you just mentioned around social, emotional health, the kids, and you're kind of powerless, right. To, right. to impact it, except just to, to be empathetic and, and do the best you can to serve each little chi child or family That's right. that comes before you. But man, you have a chance there, the really exciting way to take your optimism and hope and channel it with resources now to bring some systemic change. So that's really cool. And we'll talk about another of the big projects of uh, Parkland a little bit over in Redbird, which is really cool. Yeah. But really, you know, kind of a year into this pandemic. And I, I mean, I think now the data is pretty clear, right? That inordinately and disproportionately, the pandemic has had both in its prevalence and its outcomes, I mean, um, the heaviest and most negative impact on people of color from these less resource communities that you were just speaking about. So when you work with Dr. Cerise and his leadership team at the, at the Parkland system, how can you expand on the impact of what the pandemics taught us about historical issues with healthcare access uh, for members of the Dallas County community? Yeah, so just to quickly back up, and that's, a, that's, a, that's an interesting point, Dave. You know, back in September 2019, um, Parkland, um, in conjunction with the Dallas County Health and Human Services Department, released our kind of uh, triannual, you know, uh, community health needs assessment. So we kind of looked across Dallas County as required by law and said, you know, what are all the, the challenges that exist across our service area? And then from that, developed a plan to say, here's how we're going to, to intervene with the goal of raising the health quotient for, for our population. Well, it was interesting that if you look at the kind of map of Dallas County and where those needs exist, it really kind of, you can superimpose that on where we saw the highest prevalence of, of COVID-19 and gaps in just general service. And so I think for us, it one, right, kind of you know, further underscored the need to invest in community-based healthcare, um, knowing that for countless individuals, particularly our most vulnerable patients, many of them were certainly uh, deeply impacted by the pandemic, getting to the hospital is a barrier in of itself, even though we are proud of, you know, this billion dollar, you know, facility that certainly philanthropy and Dallas taxpayers helped to, to certainly bring to fruition. So it's kind of one learning is that we have to really be mobile and nimble um, and really immerse ourselves in the community. I think proximity uh, is key. Hmm. The second is, you know, data informed decisions continue to, to matter. And I would say uh, certainly are prioritized. And so, you know, the foundation was key in helping to raise philanthropic support uh, to launch a number of tools at the Parkland Center for Clinical Innovation. Uh, we're able to stand up for us to really say in real time, kind of where do we see, you know, uh, vulnerable communities? Uh, where are the ways in which we can then use the services that we have, whether it's testing and certainly now as we think about vaccines, mm -hmm. to really intervene um, in a very targeted approach even down to zip codes and blocks um, such that we can you know, allocate our resources and again, be most efficient with the resources that we have that we know are limited. 
and certainly we want to be good stewards of those, those resources. Um, I think the other piece, you know, globally and historically is that, you know, decisions that were intentionally made, you know, decades ago from a policy perspective, play, continue to play out. And so going back to that map I was talking about, that map is the same map that one could use when we look at redlining um, and you know, residential patterns across the city, you know, economic investments or lack of investments um, in parts of, of Dallas, uh, certainly the county. And again, how that again creates this, this, these conditions in which we are just exacerbating gaps that we know exist um, in our community. And so the question for us becomes like, how do we both activate near-term interventions but then also think about how we connect those interventions with sound policy uh, mm. and practices that ultimately will longer term across generations begin to, to right those, those wrongs and then create greater equity and parity in, this, in, the, in the community. Yeah, it's really got to, it's got to, it has to become systemic ultimately. And the, and the, uh, the Parkland uh, prevalence map, which many of us in education were using because its ability to, to, to move precisely to, to zip code back in the summer when external data points were more important to us than now when we're looking much more at internal data points was a fantastic, um, you know, was a fantastic tool. But you referenced this idea of vaccine rollout. And so, um, uh, you know, we've seen all sorts of political bickering locally and, and uh, the kind of a coagulation of, of the supply. And now it's been even uh, more hampered by the storm. But what role, if any, has the foundation played in vaccine distribution? Is it just bringing the data to this notion of where we need to set up vaccination distribution centers or, or, or what? Tell us a little bit what the foundation's doing on the vaccine side. Yeah, so early on, most of the work of the foundation uh, when the pandemic really was hitting during the summer at its height, you know, was focused on standing up testing sites uh, across uh, Dallas County. At one point, Parkland Hospital was responsible for about 54% of testing across Dallas County. As we moved into vaccine distribution, a lot of our focus at the foundation has been using philanthropic support to focus on community outreach. Um, there continues to be opportunities um, to disseminate <coughs> factual information, to mm -hmm. address uh, you know, cynicism and frankly, you know, historical concerns uh, based on malfeasance and certainly um, issues with the medical community in you know, communities of color, African-American communities, Latinx communities across uh, Dallas County and certainly across the country. And so, you know, thinking about targeted outreach, whether it's print, digital, door-to-door um, -door in a socially distant and safe, uh, safe manner, um, they're you know, leveraging community influencers, thinking about, you know, asset mapping and looking at those nodes of, of trust uh, within a community and saying, how can we tap into those social networks, um, knowing that they can be ambassadors uh, on behalf of the hospital system, you know, that's a lot of the work that we've been doing. And so we're really excited about, um, you know, soon to be launching uh, a kind of a, a public uh, campaign that will allow um, the hospital system to really get out uh, messaging through, through radio, through print, through digital, mm -hmm. um, other non-traditional means um, such that we really can um, you know, share, again, the factual information about the vaccine mm -hmm. uh, and make inroads uh, in the communities where we still see um, a hesitance to adopt the vaccine. Yeah, it's going to be so critical to knock the, um, the, the, the spread and transmission in those communities that have been super impacted by it um, to get the vaccine, you know, distributed uh, to the point that you build some herd immunity and can really, can really tamp, tamp it down, hopefully. So that right. sounds like a really powerful and necessary effort for the reasons you raise quite legitimately in some instances of uh, those with um, black and brown skin feeling distrust toward uh, 
you know, entities that bring uh, medical solutions to them. So uh, that's a, that's an excellent effort. And much of what we've talked about over the last few minutes ties into the other project that I hinted about, which is the, the work that Parkland's doing um, in the Redbird community at uh, formula Southwest Center Mall right across the street from uh, Kip Destiny Charter, where we had uh, a lot Sorry. of a lot of meetings and, and our, our good uh, shared friend, Peter Brodsky, uh, who was on the board with us there at Kip um, for, for many years as well and still is an active supporter of of, uh, of Kip's efforts has led just a remarkable project there, which is uh, in part, as you'll explain here in a moment, doing just what you uh, foretold, bringing the hospital to the community, right? And, and bringing the resources to bear to build trust and, and, a, and a sense of access for people so that, uh, you know, under-resourced communities don't you need to use Parkland's emergency room as their point of care doctor, which is, you know, unfortunately in, in an oversimplified way, what happens too often, right? They're just going to the emergency room to essentially go to the, to the doctor. So, Tell us a little bit about the foundation's work, Parkland's work in plugging in over at um, Redbird Mall and the exciting uh, really redevelopment that's happening there. Yeah, I think early on, you know, the foundation uh, in working with clinical leadership at the hospital recognized a tremendous opportunity to you know, reimagine, to use their word, right, a, a kind of a healthcare delivery system that was really focused on some key principles. One, making sure that we are, again, embedding resources in a community, um, doing so in a way that is data-informed, um, and also um, providing comprehensive services, recognizing that there continue to be inefficiencies and trade-offs where you are delivering uh, services in a much more fragmented uh, manner. And so to do that, you know, I think this firmly aligns with you know, what Reimagine Redbird really is, right? a kind of a comprehensive, soup to nuts, um, you know, development aimed at revitalizing, um, you know, the economic, you know, uh, stature of the Redbird community uh, to create, you know, jobs, um, to certainly uh, create retail opportunities, but um, to anchor around medical institutions um, mm -hmm. as a, as a, almost a mini medical district for, uh, for Southern Dallas County. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, for us, you know, we would look back at Parkland and said, you know, we see, you know, disproportionality as it relates to late uh, stage breast cancer diagnoses, you know, hypertension, pediatric asthma, right? All these chronic mm -hmm. conditions and mortality, morbidity uh, factors that exist um, that certainly if you look at the zip code of where Redbird is are deeply impacted, we said, you know, here's a proposition in which we can really drive mm -hmm. positive and better health outcomes. Also, we can use our investment power to also kind of change the paradigm of that community, right? Hiring individuals and prioritizing individuals for that health center who live and reside in Redbird. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I think it's, it's a way for us to achieve that double bottom line, right? Where we can kind of do well and do good at the same time. And so I think that that is definitely a part and parcel for the work that we're doing. At the foundation specifically, we are not just bringing awareness to that project, but we're also looking for opportunities to leverage philanthropic support uh, to bring mammography, full mammography services to, mm. to Redbird. Again, thinking about um, you know, the, the, the high incidences of late stage breast cancer diagnoses, often because of a lack of access to care, outreach education, by embedding those uh, within the uh, comprehensive Redbird Health Center, we really are providing from you know, pediatric to, to seniors uh, a spectrum of care that's unparalleled um, and certainly aligns with the mission and mandate that Parkland has. Um, and so we're, we're excited at the foundation to continue to, to, to raise those funds. We think that it's something that is gonna be meaningful 
uh, for the, the Redbird Health Center for that larger project. We're happy to partner with other institutions, UT Southwestern, Children's, and other you know, uh, community-based and nonprofit organizations uh, that will be there um, to really create, a, I think, an ecosystem of, of care uh, and empowerment for, for Southern Dallas County. Yeah, our friend Peter is a, is a force of nature and you can go to Reimagine Redbird and read more about the, the business and residential and, and medical center uh, concepts that, uh, that Michael is talking about. When will you open the health center there? When is it slated to kick off? Yeah, I would say late summer, early, like September 2021. Uh, uh, we will begin taking patients. I'm actually uh, heading there uh, early March uh, to take a Amazing. tour. To kind of see, you know, where where things are, and so we're really excited. Um, and certainly, the foundation is is uh, working with the hospital system to schedule tours uh, for those who are interested in learning ways in which they can support uh, the work that we're doing at Redbird. Yeah, we're, we're I can't wait to get over and, and see it. It's been too long since I've seen, um, you know, it come fa- really back to life, and so uh, eager to get over there and see it. And and in closing, really to to that very point you just referenced, you know, the foundation offers just a variety of volunteer engagement opportunities for individuals. And so, you know, as as you were to if you were to lay those out to you know members of our listening community here at Parish, and, and especially those that might apply to young people, are there a couple, two or three that you uh, reference as being really cool volunteer opportunities and ways to plug into the foundation's efforts? Yeah, certainly. So one um, opportunity for those who tend to be on the younger side, I would certainly um, advocate for looking into the Community First Award program. Um, For several years now, we've looked to identify leaders uh, and certainly budding leaders across the city who are in the county uh, who are interested in learning more about healthcare, who Mm -hmm. can serve as ambassadors and really bring their gifts and certainly uh, placement within organizations to bear on solving, you know, some health challenges across the county. And so hmm. um, I stand for parkland.org. You can learn more about the Community First Award program. Uh, certainly there are other uh, discrete volunteer opportunities, uh, you know, notwithstanding the pandemic and certainly the weather outages uh, and working within our hospital, uh, supporting certain departments departments, uh, whether it's the NICU or health centers. Um, Certainly, we're always uh, looking for individuals who uh, are interested in serving on boards uh, Mm. to participate on a board or a committee. It's a great way to learn more about not just the work the foundation does, but also the hospital system uh, and learn more about kind of, you know, health policy and and, and public health and population health. And so a number of ways, uh, I think, to get engaged, uh, to support, uh, as you said, Dave, a gem in our community and certainly Mm. recognizing the importance importance of investing in our public health institutions like Parkland. Yeah, it's amazing. A real a dynamic set of opportunities for a, for a mainstay of this community when you really understand uh, how, how much that hospital and its doctors and nurses and staff uh, pour back into the, to the wellness of, uh, of Dallas County and especially those here who otherwise would not have those medical services, yet you can only stand in admiration, as I do for you as a friend and a glad, uh, so glad to have you in my in my network uh, and and uh, in contact here in Dallas County. Always good to hang out with you. Same here, Dave. It's been a pleasure. Uh, excited to be on. Thank you so much for the opportunity, and, and certainly look forward to to this going live. Be well. We'll we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to this edition of the From My Angle podcast. Please share it with friends and colleagues in your network. In our next episode, we shift our focus and begin a month-long point of attention on play, how being part of a team culture unites individuals of different skills, talents, and backgrounds in the quest for a common goal. I'm excited to have Parish alum Charles Cook, class of 2011, joining me. Charles was a star on the fields both here at Parish and during his college career at Yale. Now 
He has made athletics his profession as he serves as the director of player evaluation for the Houston Astros. It'll be fun to catch up with a former Panther in our next episode, and I hope you will plan to join us on the From My Angle podcast. See you then.